Well, it's good to see everyone. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon our study this evening. So please stand with me. Holy Father, thank thee for the revelation of thy uh, word uh, that thou hast uh, seen fit in thy wisdom to give to us uh, this record, thy revelation, um, and to preserve it uh, throughout the centuries that we might uh, be able, Lord, to, to study it, to uh, believe it, to love it, to practice it. Pray that thou would instruct us in thy ways this evening, guide our, our thoughts, our meditations, Lord, that they would be upon thee. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we are focusing this evening upon uh, John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. John 9, 35 through 41. Just to bring you, um, as we read this section, you'll recall that this is the chapter in which this man who was born blind is healed by the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees, not wanting to receive the miracle uh, as one performed by Jesus, uh, bring the man in to examine him, and then they bring the parents of the man in to examine them, then they bring the man back in to examine him again. After the second time being examined, uh, he begins to challenge them about uh, their own uh, unbelief uh, in the fact that he was healed and and that Jesus healed him. And he basically says, uh, are you asking me all these questions because you want to be his disciple also? And this infuriates them uh, because that's the last thing that uh, the majority of them wanted. They want to basically demonstrate or try to uh, get false evidence, false witnesses, whatever, to be able to say that Jesus is uh, a sinner, uh, that Jesus is a false prophet, not that he uh, is a true prophet, or not that he is the Son of God for sure. But uh, then they excommunicate this man. Uh, that's what we uh, ended uh, last time. Verse 34, the last sentence says, and they cast him out. The, the Sanhedrin, they cast him out of the synagogue. They, they excommunicate him. So verse 35 and, and following, let's just read all of it together and then we'll come back and look at each verse. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. So back to verse 35, uh, focusing on that 
verse alone right now. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, that is the blind man, or the man that was healed of his blindness. And when he had found him, Jesus found uh, the, blind, uh, the man that was healed, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? So the excommunication of this, of this uh, man that had been healed of his blindness uh, apparently was circulating uh, throughout Jerusalem because it says Jesus heard uh, that uh, they had cast him out. Uh, and so this was not something that was uh, kept very private. This was uh, circulated throughout uh, the streets of Jerusalem and into homes and in and, and the temple. Um, you know, have you heard that the, the man that Jesus healed of his blindness They've cast him out. They've excommunicated him from the Sanhedrin. This man was not uh, lawfully uh, excommunicated, uh, but uh, was unlawfully excommunicated. Um, excommunication, as we've noted in a past study, uh, certainly is a lawful censure. Uh, it is something that God has, Christ has given to the church uh, in particular cases, uh, to not sentence someone to hell, uh, but it is actually given to, to uh, a sick brother or sister to help them realize the seriousness of their sin into which they've fallen, and for them to uh, be brought through that excommunication uh, to... Uh, repent and to come and uh, to be restored uh, uh, to Christ and to his church. And so it's, it's, uh, it's remedial. Um, it's, not, it's not intended to, as I said, be uh, an act of retributive justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's intended to, uh, to bring that person uh, to a place of of uh, repentance. Uh, but again, when uh, just as there is lawful excommunication, so again it can be unlawfully administered as well. And that uh, when it is unlawfully for unjust causes, unjust reasons uh, administered, uh, then uh, is the excommunication still then recognized uh, in the courts of heaven? Um, no, it's not recognized in the courts of heaven if it has been administered uh, upon uh, and for unlawful reasons. And so that, uh, in this particular case, uh, this man was excommunicated because he was basically standing for Christ, uh, because uh, he was challenging the Sanhedrin in their unbelief and he was excommunicated. They simply uh, wanted him out. Um, if he wasn't going to call Jesus a, a sinner, if he wasn't going to call Jesus a false prophet, if he was going to basically challenge the Sanhedrin, uh, they were going to show him. And so they put him out and just as a raw exercise of their power and authority, not because it was right. <clears throat> Notice here that uh, uh, the man did not seek out Jesus, but it was Jesus who sought out uh, the man. And uh, I think uh, that's encouraging that uh, when we suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ, we do not suffer alone. Uh, Jesus came to the, this individual he did not desert him, he did not abandon him, uh, but came to him and uh, sought to uh, bring this, this man who had made certain pro progress with regard to faith, but he did not yet understand who Jesus was. And so he was going, Jesus comes to the man uh, and gives him more information about who he is. The man said, uh, that he believed Jesus was a prophet, and that's true. 
He is the prophet, um, the, the um, prophet par excellence, uh, uh, the supreme prophet, but he is more than, um, uh, than a prophet, as we'll see in just a moment. <clears throat> he says in verse 35, Jesus says to him, once he found this man, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? In the Gospel of John, um, the more familiar term that Jesus uses with, with reference to himself uh, is actually the Son of Man. He calls himself um, ten times in the Gospel of John the Son of Man. Uh, he calls himself five times in the, go in the Gospel of John the Son of God. Um, and again, we're not, we're not by pointing out how many times uh, John, uh, that Jesus calls himself the Son of God as opposed to the Son of Man. We're not putting some kind of relative weight that he's more the Son of Man than he is the Son of God, but just to simply point out that, um, that he does use the term Son of Man in reference to himself more than he does the Son of God. The Son of Man, again, just to refresh your memory from past studies, uh, means that Jesus has the nature of man. He's the Son of Man. Uh, he has the nature of, 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 of a uh, human being. Uh, he uh, is fully man. Uh, he was not partial man. He was a full, complete human being. And so he is the son of man. Uh, he was without sin. Um, that uh, certainly distinguishes him from every other uh, human being, but he was without sin. If the son of man means that he has the nature of man, what does the term uh, son of God mean? He has the nature of God. Um, and I find this very helpful in talking, say, with Jehovah Witnesses uh, who will have no problem if you ask them what does Son of Man refer to, they'll say, well, it means that he's a man. Um, then if you turn that around and say, well, what does the term Son of God mean? Uh, then they'll stumble. Uh, then they'll uh, realize they've kind of stepped into a snare that they can't very easily get out of because they've already said son of man means that he's a man, he's fully man, he's a true man. Therefore, if he's a son of God, doesn't mean he's less than God, it means he has the nature of God. He's, uh, he is fully God. Jesus challenges the man by asking him here if he believes in the son of God. Jesus requires that the man not simply believe that he's a man sent from God as a prophet. That's, again, in this process that this man is going through, that's um, uh, the first step that he's taken. But Jesus is going to bring him to the point where he recognizes that he's fully God. And again, in our witnessing uh, to others, it's very important that we not simply say that Jesus is a, is a perfect man. We have to, in, in the gospel presentation, make it clear Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, uh, otherwise, he could not bear the sins of his people. Uh, he could die, perhaps, if he was a sinner, he could die for his own sins, but it's because he's God, and not only because he's man, but because he's God, that his sacrifice uh, has the efficacy and the virtue um, and the value uh, to be able to pay for the sins of all of his people because he is God. So it's very important that we not simply say, uh, well, Jesus is a perfect man or that he's a prophet. Um, uh, Islam believes that Jesus is a prophet. 
Um, uh, Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is a God, um, not the, the God, but a God. Um, Mormons believe that he is a God, that he is a created being. He was created um, uh, like uh, the brother of Lucifer. And, uh, and so, you know, various false religions will give an exalted view of Jesus, but that's not sufficient. Uh, uh, we have to, again, acknowledge in, in our gospel presentation that he is fully God. Verse 36. He answered and said, and this is the man who was healed, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? So he does not at this point know that Jesus who healed him is the Son of God. And so this is a very sincere question on his part. And when he says, uh, Who is he, Lord? Uh, he's not saying, Who is he, you know, Lord in the sense of, you know, calling Jesus God, um, because the word uh, in Greek, uh, kurios, uh, can refer to um, the uh, God as divinity, as deity, uh, but it also, the word Lord, kurios, in, in, uh, uh, can simply mean sir when it's applied to uh, uh, an ordinary human being. Uh, so it would be a very respectful form of address to say, you know, Lord or Sir uh, to Jesus here. So that's probably what he's saying. Uh, he answered and said, who is he, Sir, that I might believe on him? Um, and because, again, the man's ignorant, right? Um, the Lord hasn't, Jesus hasn't told him who he is at this particular point. He's ignorant, but he is teachable. Um, and that's very, very important to understand about uh, this this man. How much more we will grow in true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ when we're really honest and we confess what we're truly ignorant about in regard to a particular subject. None of us knows a topic or a subject uh, infinitely. None of us knows uh, a subject as well as the angels or the saints in heaven uh, that are already glorified, certainly not as, as well as the Lord God himself. So we all have room to grow. Um, and it's important that we, if we are to be uh, taught by Christ, that we are willing to, to, in effect, recognize that we're ignorant, that we need to learn, that we need to grow. Um, uh, ignorance in itself is, is not um, a strike against us uh, if we want to grow out of our ignorance. If we don't want to remain in our ignorance, if we want to remain in our ignorance, that's a, that's a problem. You know, willful ignorance is, is, a, is a sin. Uh, but to acknowledge ignorance and wanting to grow uh, in understanding um, the truth, uh, that's, that's a virtue, uh, not, a, not a vice. Being teachable, I want to spend a, a few minutes on this, uh, uh, talking about this matter of being teachable. Uh, being teachable does not mean um, that um, and being wanting uh, to learn doesn't mean that we are gullible, that we're simply willing to accept whatever is taught us. Uh, being teachable doesn't mean that we're willing to reconsider everything that we presently know about the truth and to put everything uh, upon the table and to renegotiate everything that we've come to believe. That's, that's not being teachable either. Um, that's not being, uh, you know, when the term open-minded 
is, is used, there is a good sense in which we ought to be open-minded and teachable. But there's also a, a very bad sense in which uh, one can be open-minded and uh, the good sense is that, again, we're ignorant, we confess, we need to learn, we need to grow. I want to be open-minded, I want to be teachable, but uh, the bad sense is that we basically throw out everything and say, you know, okay, um, uh, I'm willing to, uh, to relearn everything that I presently uh, profess to believe. Uh, I'm willing to, uh, to set it all aside and to reconsider uh, the most foundational and basic beliefs. So that's not good. That's not good at all. Because the Bible says that we ought to be persuaded, uh, that we can be persuaded, and persuasion is confidence. Persuasion is assurance of the truth. Uh, God wants us to be assured. God wants us to be persuaded. He, he wants us to be confident of that uh, which is faithful and true. For example, in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 12, 2 Timothy 1, 12 says, And this is in the beginning, in the middle of the verse. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against the, that day. That there is a persuasion that, that uh, God is able to preserve that to which we have committed him. You know, and and uh, there's a persuasion about knowledge, certain knowledge about God, that we have confidence in God and, and concerning the truth that he has committed to us. First uh, John 5.13 uh, says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, so that ye may know, be assured, be confident, be persuaded that ye have eternal life. So there are, there are things that, uh, uh, that God says we should certainly be uh, very persuaded by, confident, uh, because he's revealed that in his word. In the name of uh, being open-minded, many have sold the truth and forsaken the Lord. Um, they've said, I, I want to be completely open-minded. So they've renegotiated with the, whether there is a God, whether God is triune, uh, whether Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They've renegotiated whether salvation is, is by grace, through faith alone. They've renegotiated, um, uh, you know, the Bible is the inspired word of God. Uh, they've renegotiated um, that um, there's only one way uh, to the Father, and that's through the Son. Um, so, again, in order to be open-minded, um, many people uh, have cast away uh, the faith that they once embraced because they didn't want to be called narrow-minded or closed-minded, and uh, so uh, they cast away uh, their faith. They want to be so tolerant uh, that again, um, there's nothing to any longer to stand for uh, by way of that which they previously professed to be true. How do we know, this is the question, having kind of raised the, uh, the problem before you, let me ask the question, how do we know 
uh, when to be teachable and when not to be teachable. How do we know what is negotiable and what is not negotiable? Well, let's say at the outset, the truth is never negotiable. Now, none of us is omniscient, knows all things, only God does. So how do we, how do we even grow in our Christian life by way of knowledge if we're not willing to reconsider some things that we have embraced early on, say, in our Christian life that we have grown to understand was error. Well, let me, let me just give you uh, some thoughts on this. First of all, there are foundational truths that uh, we must affirm um, that, are the, that are the foundation uh, upon which we uh, profess that which we believe that are foundational. For example, uh, and again, I'm not claiming uh, that this is an exhaustive list, but let me give you some examples of what I would consider to be that which is foundational. Uh, the Bible, as being the inspired word of God, our supreme standard of faith and practice. Um, uh, God, um, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally uh, um, existing as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, man, created by God, fallen in Adam, man being a sinner, man uh, being dead in trespasses and sins and uh, and separated from God in, in need of a Savior. Uh, salvation through Jesus Christ and what Christ accomplished upon the cross. Uh, that there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ and his redemption, uh, his work uh, to uh, pay the penalty uh, for sin and uh, for him to suffer the wrath of God uh, for uh, uh, all who will trust him. Um, love and obedience is not optional, it's not negotiable. We, as Christians, uh, can't debate whether we should love God, love his commandments, whether we should be obedient to God whether we should be obedient to his commandments. Those, those are not things that we come back to and say, well, let me, let me uh, reconsider uh, whether that is something uh, that uh, I should do or not. Uh, eternal life and eternal condemnation, um, heaven and hell, um, they're not negotiable. Um, they're a place, there's a place of uh, eternal reward, um, uh, for those for whom Jesus died and, and uh, uh, for those who um, uh, receive Christ by faith alone are forgiven, pardoned of all their sin um, and, and uh, uh, are accounted as righteous in God's sight and evidence that by, again by way of love, by, re by way of uh, uh, repentance, uh, love and obedience those, those I would submit to you, again, I'm not presenting an exhaustive list, but I would present to you that those are foundational. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there are truths that Paul says are foundational and truths that are built upon the foundation. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. For, no, for, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation 
gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So that the foundation is Christ, and I would submit, you know, again, that these types of truths that I've just given uh, are foundational, part of that foundation uh, of Jesus Christ. They're foundational. Um, and upon that foundation, uh, there's, a, there's a structure being built uh, by way of gold, silver, precious stones. Those are, those are the, the true doctrines. Uh, those are the, the truths manifested from God's word. But there's also built upon that foundation wood, hay, and stubble, uh, which would be uh, doctrine and worship which is not agreeable to God's word. Uh, there will come a time of judgment, Paul says, in which fire will test the quality. Um, and if the foundation is in place, those foundational doctrines, those foundational truths, uh, when the fire is applied, um, the wood, hay, and stubble, the things that, uh, that we have believed um, that are contrary to the word of God will be burned up. Um, those things that we have believed that, uh, uh, and put upon the foundation um, that are gold, silver, and precious stone will be um, revealed uh, to be uh, God's truth, uh, which we've embraced. Um, but even, it says, even that man whose foundation is Jesus Christ, that's securely laid, um, that the doctrine that he builds upon that's not foundational um, uh, may be burnt up, but he will be saved, though by fire. In other words, there, there is a... Uh, it's, not, it's not commending the person who believes what is false. It's not saying that, yay, you know, um, it, it's, it's quite all right. It doesn't matter what you build upon the foundation. That's not what the text is teaching us. Uh, you know, who wants to build upon a foundation uh, that which is contrary to God's word or who, you know, none of us should want to build what we believe is contrary to God's word uh, and his truth. Uh, but uh, again, uh, does that happen? Well, we're human beings. Can we, can we fail? Can we, are we fallible? Yes, only God is infallible uh, and, and incapable of error. We're all capable of error. Um, and so we, we don't want to uh, attribute perfection uh, to uh, any of us as human beings. That's why we must be very, very humble uh, when approaching these matters. As I said, many of us have moved uh, since professing faith in Jesus Christ We've moved uh, in particular directions, um, uh, in a particular direction away from things we once believed or professed to believe. Uh, I've moved away from uh, Arminianism. Uh, I've moved away uh, from um, uh, believers only baptism uh, to embrace uh, infant baptism. Uh, there have been many changes in my life over uh, my Christian walk with, with the Lord Jesus. And uh, so there were things that were uh, negotiable, as it were. I was willing to consider, not to relay the foundation, but I was willing to consider whether what I was being challenged with was agreeable to God's word or not with regard to these other things. And again, I'm not saying that any truth is unimportant. All truth is important. 
but we again I think need to weigh out whether this is something to be considered foundational um, or or something built upon the foundation and uh, and I think that when we do that uh, I think that we will realize um, probably very few of us have made no changes in our thinking and our what we profess what we believe things like that that's a part of sanctification and growth is it not uh, that we are growing in holiness we are growing in understanding uh, truth um, uh, otherwise, we would basically be saying, I knew it all when I first became a Christian. I didn't need to learn anything more. Uh, I, 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 I was absolutely perfect in everything I believed. Uh, then I don't need to grow anymore. I, I think that we need to have rather the attitude of um, that, that we, are, we are growing uh, in our understanding of Christ's truth. But again, I want to say, I do want to say a, a few more things and uh, I'm not going to be able to finish my, I can see already probably finish my text uh, or the amount of verses that I wanted to cover, but that's fine. It's, it's, I just want to make sure that we spend the time on this matter uh, here. And remember how we got off on, on this. It's not a tangent. Uh, it's really just an application. The, the man who was healed said he was ignorant, but he was teachable. And so that's how we're, we're trying to apply that particular um, uh, matter to our own lives here. But so the first point I made was th there are foundational truths that are not negotiable, okay? Okay, the second thing I want to say is that there are truths that are built upon that foundation that we must study from scripture and be willing to be instructed by the Lord from his word and supremely from his word. Uh, that's the infallible standard of faith and practice, supremely uh, from his word. But also, we need to add to that through those who are gifted pastors and teachers in history whose doctrine is agreeable to God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, so we're not, a, we're not an island. Uh, we're, not, uh, uh, we're not just uh, all by ourselves here. God never intended for us to simply, uh, all on our own, um, uh, take up uh, the Bible and without any other input, from any other gifted teacher or pastor or minister or doctor uh, from the past or any synod uh, collection of doctors and uh, pastors, teachers, um, uh, any synod from the past or any council from the past, not to be instructed by them. We, we're, we're to be instructed by them because in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that Jesus has given to the church certain offices and officers. And he gives the reason why these were given to the church. In Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 15. And he, that's Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Notice uh, again the, the reason, the purpose. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that, that perfect again, unto a complete a uh, man, the, uh, the church becoming a complete man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, is to grow into conformity in both our, 
our practice, our, our life, as well as our doctrine, our knowledge, uh, to, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Notice verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So Paul says that Jesus has given to the church pastors, teachers, uh, again, collection of them, not only them individually, but a collection of them who meet in an assembly, in a synod, in a council, uh, to apply the word of God uh, to controversies that arise, to apply God's word and his truth to heresies and errors that arise in, in uh, exposing the errors and uh, propounding and declaring the truth. And obviously, uh, councils, uh, assemblies are only uh, as faithful as they are to God's word. Um, they're not simply because they gather, merely because they gather, um, a faithful assembly, but because they, uh, they speak that which is agreeable to God's word. This is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 31, and uh, sections, three and four, sections three and four. It belongeth to synods and councils ministerially to determine controversies of faith and cases of conscience, to set down rules and directions for the better ordering of the public worship of God and government of his church, to receive complaints and cases of maladministration and authoritatively to determine the same. Which decrees and determinations, notice, if consonant, that means agreeable to, if consonant to the word of God, are to be received with reverence and submission, not only for their agreement with the word, but also for the power whereby they are made as being an ordinance of God appointed thereto in his word. Basically, uh, the second reason, first reason is, is if they're agreeable to God's word, but also they're to be received because uh, this is an ordinance of God. Uh, uh, ministers, um, uh, teachers, pastors gathering uh, to consider these matters is the ordinance of God according to Ephesians chapter 4. This is the office that the Lord has called them to. And then uh, that was the third paragraph. Fourth paragraph says, All synods or councils since the apostles' times, whether general or particular, so general would be um, uh, many nations uh, that gather in an ecumenical council that come together to, as some of the earlier uh, councils uh, in, in the uh, fourth, fifth, sixth uh, centuries, uh, after, uh, after Christ's um, uh, birth and uh, during that period of time, it says uh, those would be general. Particular sentence would be to a particular church, a particular nation. But it says all sentence or councils since the apostles' times, whether general or particular, notice, may err, and many have erred. Therefore, they are not to be made the rule of faith or practice, but to be used as an help in both, both faith and practice. So we do not consider um, our subordinate standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Catechisms, the Covenants, uh, Directories, um, we do not consider, consider them to be our supreme standard God's word is the supreme standard. 
We do not consider uh, councils like the Westminster Assembly. We do not consider uh, uh, other assemblies, the Church of Scotland, their, their, their assemblies. Uh, we do not consider them to be in, uh, infallible. Uh, they may err. Uh, any of us may err. Uh, but uh, again, uh, the fact that we may err does not mean that we have erred. And how do we know whether we have erred or not? We go to God's infallible standard and compare what was rendered uh, and compare it with the Word of God. That's, that alone is infallible. But God has given to us um, councils, assemblies of ministers, pastors, teachers, so that we would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, so that there's stability historically. Uh, and so that we don't have to, in the next age, reinvent the wheel and start all over again and renegotiate everything that we have previously, uh, that we ourselves have once believed, or that which was determined before, we can build upon the shoulders of those who have gone before us and strive for greater reformation from that point. But we never receive something simply because uh, your pastor says it, merely upon his authority alone. We never receive something as being true uh, simply because an assembly says that it's true. Uh, I may be speaking the truth, but how you know I'm speaking the truth is to compare what I say to God's word. Not to compare it, uh, don't, not to take a head count, not to, uh, to look at what do most churches now say about this particular doctrine or practice in worship, but is it agreeable to God's word? Um, and so again, uh, that's, how we, that's how we again become uh, further persuaded of the truth is again, God has given to us these councils, these ministers uh, who are faithful um, and uh, who uh, enlighten, give us enlightenment uh, of God's word as we, as we uh, read and as we study. And this is one of the purposes of synods, um, is so that we don't have as many different views of a truth as there are Christians. You know, because... Uh, uh, we're very much independent-minded uh, by nature, and we want to say, well, what I believe is the truth, and if, again, um, we simply stay there, we have as many versions of the truth um, as there, there are, as I said, individual believers. But the purpose, again, of these councils and these assemblies is to seek to bring together the Church of Jesus Christ, under the banner of these truths which they, which they um, have uh, as a council and an assembly studied, considered the, the various positions, and come to a united position. This is what the Bible teaches on this particular area, not in this particular matter. Now it's up to us to, again, uh, receive that, uh, uh, by way of uh, what does God say? Uh, you know, we don't, again, just leave it there, but that is a very important and helpful um, uh, way that God has given to us in his word uh, to be persuaded, to be further persuaded. We are supremely persuaded by the Holy Spirit, but we have confirmation of that uh, by way of assemblies and, and, and uh, by way of councils that have been formed to study these matters. And one last thing, and I'll, I'll probably end uh, on this point uh, this evening. Uh, 
And that, that is this. Though it's confusing at times uh, to try and sort through um, the various views that are in the church on a particular subject, doctrines and, and the differences that exist between churches, um, never, just because there are differences, never go to some kind of default position where you say, because there are so many different positions, I can never know the truth. Don't fall back to that default position. Um, that's not where God would have us to fall. He wants us to be persuaded of the truth. He wants us to be uh, assured of his truth. He wants us to walk in his truth. He wants us to grow in his truth. And so don't, uh, don't allow the diversity that exists you know, among churches uh, over different worship practices and things of that. Don't allow it to take you down that path because God's not schizophrenic when it comes to the truth. He doesn't hold, uh, uh, he doesn't look at all of the different views and say, um, uh, they're all right. Uh, there is one right, there is one wrong, I mean many wrong perhaps, but there's one right, there's, uh, there's only that which is true uh, which God has revealed. And so um, uh, our, our um, humble plea with God is, I simply want to know what is right. I simply want to know the truth. Uh, however much study it requires, however much sacrifice it requires on my part, even if it means that, that um, uh, others are offended uh, by my pursuit of the truth, I simply want to know the truth. And using these means that, that we've already stated, but that's what we cry out to the Lord. Uh, I only want to know the truth. And how are we going to know it? Again, we pray for the Spirit's illumination of our understanding. We pray uh, that God would open his word so that we, again, can see whatever doctrine is brought, uh, that what God's word teaches on this, on this particular matter. 2 Peter 1.21 um, states, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And let me go back to verse 20, uh, the verse before. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not uh, in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, no prophecy of scripture. So the scripture is not of any private interpretation. Now, uh, I know there are some who would interpret that to mean that uh, uh, one person uh, who is seeking the truth and cries out to God, uh, some would believe that God doesn't simply uh, will not simply reveal the truth to one uh, person and that one person then to stand upon that truth. Um, uh, there, there is that interpretation that, um, for example, um, the Church of Rome uh, would say the only way that you can know that something is right or wrong or true is through the uh, Roman Catholic assemblies and councils. Um, other, any other view is a private interpretation uh, of it. Well, I happen to dis disagree with that uh, understanding of this passage because I do believe that uh, uh, because a, a council can err, that in fact uh, God may give to uh, a single individual or a few individuals um, the truth contrary to that counsel. Um, 
You start with uh, the Reformation. On early ages, uh, there were, you know, men that God was giving light and understanding to that were recognizing that what the Roman Catholic Church was teaching was, was wrong, but they were in such a minority. Um, that's not what is condemned here as private interpretation. What is condemned here as private interpretation is taking an isolated verse and passage of scripture and interpreting it merely uh, in that passage rather than looking at the entirety of God's word. We do not interpret uh, the Bible by way of private interpretation and simply looking at one passage. We interpret the Bible by way of taking all of scripture as to what God says in all of scripture. There are some passages that are uh, more obscure uh, that are made more clear by comparing scripture with scripture. The confession, our confession of faith says that the infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. And when we do that, we're not coming to the Bible by way of a private interpretation. But when we only look at one verse and we say, and we build a doctrine merely off of one verse rather than comparing it with all of what God says in his word, that's a private interpretation. So we don't want to do that. And I, I throw that out as well uh, to you that when you're crying out to God for his insight, for his illumination concerning his truth, don't uh, practice private interpretation, simply going to a verse. Look at the entirety of God's word and what it says um, with regard to a, a doctrine, a practice, and worship. Another uh, point Jesus says in, in John seven seventeen. this is a helpful tool as well when you're trying to understand um, what God's word says or what it teaches. Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself, that is, speak of myself as a mere man. So, this is another helpful aid and tool if we want to know the truth. Jesus says, if any man will do his will, um, then God gives further illumination and understanding. If we don't want to do God's will once he, once he illuminates our mind and understanding, once he shows us what his word teaches, why should he show us the truth of what he teaches if we're not willing to do it? Only if we are willing to do his will, Jesus says, will, he, will a man know whether a teaching is from God or from man. And so we must be willing to do it. Come what may, like, doesn't matter what sacrifices, are we willing to do uh, what God shows to us in his word? And so the Lord calls us all to be Bereans in Acts 7, 17, verses 10 and 11. The Bereans that Paul went to uh, and, and preached the word of God to, these were Jewish believers in, in a, a town uh, in the town of uh, Berea. And uh, it says, uh, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Verse 11 says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now why were they more noble? In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. So they received God's word, but notice, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So they compared even what the apostles were saying with what God had already revealed in the Old Testament. And so God calls us to be Bereans. Compare what he teaches us in his entire word. And uh, so, um, 
one last practical thing that I would just share with you, don't quickly move from one position to another. I would rather stay in a position uh, where one that I have affirmed uh, and until I am convinced uh, that what I presently am believing and holding to is wrong, that I'm going to st stay there until I see the testimony of God's word, unless uh, the word of God uh, is given to me, then I'm not going to just be jumping back and forth and back and forth. And, and, and that, that again is going to bring so much instability into one's life. It's better to stay basically where you are until you have, again, sufficient knowledge and reason to be able to move uh, to the next position that, that God shows is true and right. Um, don't be jumping around simply, again, um, uh, often people jump around uh, because um, maybe the majority are jumping around, have moved uh, to a position, or because someone that you may admire has moved to this new position, or, or maybe various reasons, but I encourage you, um, uh, that's not going to probably be the best way uh, to grow in your Christian life. Um, that will, again, I think, promote um, a kind of um, change that's not good. <laughs> there, there is a change that's good, but uh, the, the kind that we're just jumping around um, from one position to another, I don't think is helpful at all. It's usually pretty destructive in our, in our life and leads to a kind of a skepticism. Um, again, who can know the truth um, once we've jumped so many times back and forth and back and forth and we throw up our hands and we say, who can know the truth? Um, and I think it's better, again, Stay where you are. Uh, I'm not encouraging people to stay in error. That's not the point. But I would much rather somebody to stay where they are and to be willing to study the truth, allow, uh, you know, not only, certainly the truth supremely in God's word, but also to study the truth as uh, through those men that Jesus has gifted uh, throughout history uh, who have... Uh, uh, taught the Word of God, uh, saturate your mind, and then uh, make those changes. You're much less likely, if you do that, to be um, insecure in what you believe. Um, you'll be much more secure in what you believe if you change for the right reasons, um, because you're convinced this is what God's Word teaches. Okay, thank you for your patience. Thought it was important just to finish that out before we move on in our um, the next verses. So please stand with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, sanctify us through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. We thank Thee, that Lord. Uh, uh, we do not have to be consigned uh, to um, perpetual ignorance as believers, um, nor consigned uh, to jumping back and forth. Uh, Lord, thou dost uh, desire for us and will for us that we be uh, confident and secure, uh, stable, founded upon thy truth. Uh, not gullible and believing everything that comes along, uh, but testing and just as we're told to test the prophets uh, that come uh, by way of the fruit that they bear, the fruit of their life, the fruit of their doctrine. Uh, so, Lord, we likewise test uh, uh, what we hear as well. And we pray, our Lord, that... Um, uh, thou would help us uh, to be honest where we're ignorant as this man that was healed by Jesus. Uh, 
who confessed that he did not know who was the Son of God, but he was willing to learn that, Lord, we would likewise be teachable in that regard, uh, that we would always be willing to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any uh, questions or uh, uh, comments from from any from the uh, study this evening? Yes, Sherilyn. What's the Greek term for private interpretation? I don't have the the text in front of me, um, so I wouldn't be able to tell you the the actual Greek word that's used there. Eisegesis and exegesis. Uh, well, those are two theologi- uh, two uh, English terms that are used um, uh, to uh, to say that um, we are to uh, uh, to draw out uh, exegesis. Ex is out of. We are to to, to bring out uh, the meaning uh, from God's word. Uh, eisegesis is to put into uh, the meaning of the text our own thoughts. So, yeah, so we are to exegete, not to eisegete. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, you are dismissed. <laughs>